plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success birds, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, Power Partners. It is party time. It's Star Style. Be the star you are. I'm Cynthia Bryan, your producer and host. And the show comes to you under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. We are coming to you live on the Voice America Network the empowerment channel where we always attempt to seed and stimulate and support space for positive, meaningful conversations. And we have just a really great show for you today. And I'm really excited because in segment two, I'm going to bring on author Hirsch Wilson. He's been on the, our show before with his book, Firefighter Zen. Uh, but his new book is really close to my heart. It's called Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. And it is such a fun book. This is just really, really great. And who doesn't like to talk about animals? In segment three, we kind of um, step a little backwards. But of course, I think we could probably learn from our dogs. But uh, we're going to talk about anger management because Anger is responsible for aggressive and violent behavior, but how can we learn to manage and express ourselves with assertive communication techniques? We're going to just focus on the positive tips. And coming up in segment one, why are roots essential? Without healthy roots, plants would struggle to survive. And also, I believe a strong root system is important for a family system. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background of my family roots, uh, as well as gardening roots. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are. Be The Star You Are is uh, hosting a booth at the, um, the Moraga Pear and Wine Festival coming up. Uh, so please check it out. Be the star you are.org and click on events. This is from Duke Ellington. A problem is a chance for you to do your best. Now that kind of works well with the anger part too, right? Whenever we have a challenge, well, you know, we can face it uh, straight on and get to it. Well, uh, Henry Ford said the land, that is where our roots are. There is the basis of our physical life. It's in the land. Well, as a gardener, I spend copious amounts of time thinking about roots because healthy roots are critical indicators of the overall health and survival of plants and trees. So why are roots essential? Well, I want to go into the different ways that roots really, really are valuable. First is anchorage. One of the primary functions of roots is to anchor the plant firmly in the soil so that it isn't uprooted by wind or water or other forces of nature. Absorption. Roots absorb water and nutrients that are essential for growth and development. 
and the extensive network of roots maximizes the plant's ability to access these resources. So roots are very important for absorption. Then storage kind of is similar with absorption. The root system stores energy in the form of starches and sugars, and then those can be utilized during periods of drought or when new growth is sprouting. And then transport. The vascular system extends from the roots to the leaves to the stems, and this facilitates movement of water and nutrients. And stabilization, roots reduce erosion by binding the soil particles together, making the plant strong and stable. And of course, we've seen in recent weeks and months with all the floods and hurricanes and now earthquakes and all the horrible things happening, how many trees were destabilized and uprooted. And those, you know, after they're uprooted, then there are landslides and mudslides. So it's very frightening um, when you don't have your trees stabilized. Microbial support. Roots contribute to improving soil structure by promoting microbial activity and organic matter decomposition. So the fungi and nitrogen-fixing bacteria in the soil enhances the nutrient uptakes and it protects plants from pathogens and aeration. Roots create these little tiny channels in the soil as they grow. And those channels allow oxygen to penetrate deeper into the soil. That promotes a healthier ecosystem. And then roots can also prevent soil compaction and that aids in better water infiltration and growth. So it all works together. And then finally, drought resistant. Periods of drought are survived because of deep root systems and tap roots. So without healthy roots, all plants would struggle to survive. But with that being said about the garden, human roots are also very important. Now, last uh, weekend, some friends invited my husband and me to a picnic and a private wine tasting at Barringer Brother Winery in St. Helena. And I responded, oh, it'll be so great to be back in my stomping grounds. And I'm not sure they understood what I meant by that, because even though we've been friends for years and they knew that I grew up in the vineyards, they really didn't know the story of my roots or um, the legacy of my family. So I'm going to just share a snippet of my heritage with you. So my paternal grandfather, Fred Aberzini, he was the son of Italian immigrants who emigrated to America via Canada at the turn of the century. That would be the 1900s. And as a boy, he began working with my great uncle at Cribari Winery in Madrone, California. And he became the winemaker at a very young age. And then between Prohibition and the Great Depression, many California wineries closed, and then Behringer Brothers was faltering. And federal agents suggested to Bertha Behringer that she hire someone with integrity and knowledge, someone like Fred Eberzini. So he motored up to St. Helena with my grandmother and when he saw the caves at Behringer, and those were built in like the 1860s by the Chinese coolies that were here, 
he believed that, and they were closed at the time, he believed that he could make some excellent wine. And in 1932, at the age of 28, in exchange for free reign to do what he needed in the winery, he was hired to be Beringer's manager, winemaker, and chief promoter. And he was offered a portion of the proceeds of the profits, except for they were in bankruptcy and there was there were no profits. <laughs> so anyway, he still he still took the job. He gambled that Franklin Delano Roosevelt would be elected president and in prohibition. And he decided to start crushing more grapes, making uh, wine and port and other wineries were not doing that. Fortunate for him, prohibition ended in 1933. And in 1934, Grandpa had the innovative idea to open the cellars to the public for tours and on special occasions, free tastings. But going back to when Prohibition ended in 1933, since he had already been crushing grapes, making wine um, and making wine from from um, grape juice that they had in the cellars, he was he had wine bottled and ready to sell. So immediately it was a good thing. For the 1939 Golden Gate International Exposition, it was a World's Fair, it was held at Treasure Island. He actually created the first colorful map of, in quotes, one of California's most delightful one-day trips where all roads led to Behringer from the Bay Area. And it's just this beautiful map that he put together. And then he and my grandmother, my father and uncles would drive the 60 miles from um, from St. Helena every evening to hand out maps to the people. And my dad and the um, and his two brothers were just little kids at the time. But handing out these maps, the tourists came. He also organized buses and he told people if they came up to Barringers that they would be able to get a barbecue and also to taste some wine. So this kind of promotion really worked. Then he even went a step further, and this was actually starting in the early 30s. He sent boxes of wine as well, uh, wrapped with boxes of beautifully put together prunes, because in those days, Napa Valley was a big prune area, to Hollywood celebrities. And he invited them to stop over and made certain that local and national newspapers reported these events. And he took photos or had photos taken of them with him in front of this huge, beautifully carved cask of Behringer Brothers. And they all, they came. Clark Gable, Carol Lombard, Charles Lawton, Tom Mix, Ginger Rogers, Roy Rogers, Abbott and Costello, Max Baer, Rudy Valley. Um, later on, it was Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> it, it just goes on and on and on. Um, the amount of people, it was a bevy of other luminaries. They visited often and many became great friends and they even stayed at my grandfather's house with him. Now, Fred became a legend in California with his publicity for Napa Valley wine industry. And he literally put Napa Valley on the map and he drew that first map. And so as children, we rode horses, we barbecued, we roamed the caves, we played at the winery. And for many years, 
the grapes from the my family vineyards were crushed into Behringer wines. Sadly, Grandpa was killed in 1988 when a gigantic elm tree toppled on him while he mowed his lawn. And it was a tree that that was protected by the state because it was an elm, a Dutch elm. And he had often uh, beseeched the city to cut it down because he said it's going to kill somebody. Well, it killed him. So, But he would be very proud to know that the roots that he planted as the first person to offer tours and tasting to the public have grown into Napa Valley being the most beautiful and renowned wine destination, one of them in the world that it is today. And his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren have continued his legacy. And cuttings from those first grape canes are rooted and thriving in our gardens. So yes, roots, they are the basis of our physical life. Now, I have a few uh, September um, uh, garden info for you. And uh, these are just some things that you need to do. So make sure to deep soak the roots of your trees if they are in need um, during a dry spell with a soaker hose and just let the water run. And then remove aphids on plants by mixing into a spray bottle, two tablespoons of dishwashing liquid and just spray it on the affected plants. It's time to harvest apples, Asian pears, Bartlett pears, grapes, blackberries, tomatoes, prickly pear and quince. You can cut and dry those big heads of hydrangeas for indoor bouquets. You can send a plant off to college with your student to keep the indoor air clean. And it will actually help with memory and concentration. The prayer plants, the peace lilies, the snake plants, they're all easy to grow and they'll acclimate well to dorm rooms. You wanna save your seeds from your favorite perennials. Make sure to continue deadheading your roses for several more flurries of blooms before January. You might wanna prune a shrub or two into a creative topiary and enjoy the bright colors of impatience in borders and beds. And most of all, relish your roots. So happy gardening, happy growing, and stay with me because when we come back from break, Hirsch Wilson will be with us. And we're going to talk about dog lessons and learning the important stuff from our best friends. We will be woofing it up. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We will be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. 
lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. Are you a teenager with lots to say but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel and join our global community where teens talk and the world listens. www.btsya.com You can express yourself. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. Well, I am so happy that you stayed with us here on Star Style, Be the Star You Are, because I'm very excited to welcome back to the show Hirsch Wilson. He was on our show a couple years ago for his book, Firefighter Zen, but now he's written just this wonderful, fun book that everybody who loves dogs is going to have to have on their bookshelf. It's called Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. Welcome, Hirsch, to start, or welcome back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Thanks, Cindy. uh, Cynthia, I'm super glad to be here. Oh, I am so glad. And you can call me anything you want. I just always, (laughs) like they say, Call me for dinner, right? <laughs> right, right, but on bump, yep. Yes, yeah, but on bump. Well, um, before we get started on the book, um, I just want to give you a little bit of your bio in case uh, people are just tuning in and they didn't get to read uh, Firefighters Zen, which I also recommend. But Hirsch is an organizational consultant, a pilot, a former professional dancer, and a volunteer firefighter, which is why he wrote the book Firefighter Zen. He writes a monthly column on dogs for the Santa Fe New Mexican. He's published a lot of articles and he does a lot of presentations for firefighters, et cetera. And this book is so fun. I mean, he has two daughters, uh, currently two dogs, but boy, he's had a lot of fun dogs and he lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Hirsch, one thing I never caught before when you were on the show a former professional dancer? Tell me about that really quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so uh, I went to college uh, in, in 1968 and quit in 1970 to become a dancer, to become a ballet dancer. So I, I did that. Uh, every, all, all, I'm, I'm the oldest of six, and all my sisters were dancers. So I had, I had taken them to ballet classes you know, since I, was, since I could drive, and I decided I wanted to try it. So I danced until I was 32. And then, um, like all dancers, like all athletes, you have a very short career. So it was it was an intense time. I think it taught me not only just the love of dance, but it taught me discipline and focus. So I really oh, appreciate those, wow. those years. You know, you never talked about that before. And I'm so glad you <laughs> shared that. Well, because first of all, um, being a dancer would help you quite a bit and being a firefighter to help you be light on your feet or 
chasing your dogs. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly, yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I want to get to your new book, Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. Um, you just hit the, you hit the ball out of the ballpark with this one, as far as I can tell, um, because, you know, people who love dogs, they do consider them part of the family. Mm-hmm. And the, the first thing, I mean, I, I grew up with, you know, so many dogs and like you, um, <laughs> one of the, one of the last ones is a chihuahua and we have uh, a wolf, a part wolf. And the wow. funny thing is, is to have a part wolf, part lab, right? They're 50-50. And the funny thing is, is to have this huge 160-pound dog with this three-pound dog, and they love each other. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> right? Mean, dogs are, I mean, they're meant to be together. It's, yes. you know, our, our kind of motto has always been, it's much easier to have two dogs than one. So they well, have each other all the time. Well, and they need that friendship. Yep. Um, yep. One of the big lessons that you uh, talk about in your book it comes from the fact of, you know, we're not an owner, that we really are a guardian. I just call it a family member. But tell us the difference there, because I'm just like you. I don't believe we can ever own any sentient being. That's just it reminds me of slavery. Right. I think uh, a guardian to me uh, means I have a responsibility to the sentient being, in this case, dogs. Um, I have a responsibility to keep them safe. I have a responsibility to keep them healthy. I make a commitment uh, as a dog guardian for their entire lives. Um, and different than ownership, when you own like a car and you're sick of the car, you can trade it in or you know get a new one. When you're a guardian, uh, you're, that's not allowed. You're, you have an emotional and intellectual and real commitment to the animal until they pass away. Well, you know, you talked about growing up, starting off in uh, Minnesota and um, how that it's all about self-deprecation. But, you know, my heart was just bleeding when you talked about the puppies that would be put in a bag and thrown in the river. Mm -hmm. And I do remember um, as a child that uh, that was done a lot to kittens. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people just, you know, they they didn't want to take care of them. And so this is one of the, I mean, it always, this is why I have a, I have a farm with that. It's all rescues. (laughs) Right. That's great. My my two latest books are about my barnyard, no barnyard bullies and family forever. And they're all different species that I've rescued um, because I don't want people to kill their animals. I mean, you know, because they do have so much love. So, don't you find, um, tell us, uh, well, let's talk about some of your dogs because everyone is an individual and everyone has its own personality. But without exception, all of the dogs just show this an enormous amount of loyalty and love and a sense of, um, well, of, of home. And that's because you and Lori, your wife, have shown them that. Right. I, uh, you know, I, we have what's called a dog centric home. So like some people, when we were, when we were younger, you know how, when you have kids, you, you move into a good school district. What we did was find, cause we didn't have kids at the time. We found ho- houses that were great for our dogs. Yeah. So we, were, we were very driven. And that meant they have uh, a big yard. It was a fenced yard. There was a dog door. Um, there was places to walk every day. 
but we really focused on having places to live. And my mom thought we were crazy, but we we, we always focused on uh, having places to live that the that where the dogs could thrive. Well, and um, you actually dedicated your book to your mom because your mom literally changed your life by getting you a dog. Yes, um, right. As I mentioned, so I was the all oldest your sisters uh-huh. of all my sisters. So I spent a lot of time in my room because all my si- sisters were were early feminists and they had a lot of opinions and they were very assertive. So I spent a lot of time as kind of an introverted kid in my room. And uh, we lived way out, you know, we moved from the city out to the country in a place called Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And my dad constantly had this dad joke. It's like, you couldn't see, you know, the, it wasn't the end of the world, but you could see the end of the world. Yeah, I love that. Right. I love that. So yeah, we always say it's the boondocks, you know, totally the boondocks, the boondocks right? Absolutely. And my dad traveled a lot for work. So given all those circumstances, my mom said, what we need to do is get a dog. And, and as you mentioned, that uh, when we went out and looked at um, our first litter of German Shepherd puppies, that absolutely changed my life. And uh, I, there was no looking back. I mean, uh, having a dog in my life as a, as a young boy, and as a teenager, um, was really fundamental to how I understood love. I, understand, I understood the world. You know, I think that's such an important point because I feel that as well. I feel having animals in your life, uh, especially a dog, because they've been, you know, over eons uh, bred or I guess evolved into being our best friends, right? To really being our companions. But I feel that children need to be around animals because animals teach us so many lessons. just in in how to live and speaking of yeah so i mean i think that is life-changing to be responsible for another being having to feed it and care for it and love it and groom it and make sure it has water and has a place to sleep and is safe but i what i want to get to um is the dog door because that was like a revelation to you (laughs) doggy door tell us about that well, a lot of people think that the iPhone was probably the most important innovation in their lives. And that's just not true. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the dog door. I have a sign in my office that says, you know, uh, agenda for the day. Let the dog in, let the dog out, let the dog in, let the dog out. And that was our life pre-dog door. Mm-hmm. Um, and we we were having breakfast with this, uh, these friends of ours, and they were talking about how they uh, close their dogs there at night so raccoons can't get in their house. And the lights just went on. I said, what? dog door, what, what is that? What is this magical thing you talk about? So we had him, we had the same guy who was a carpenter install um, a dog door by our, our back door. And ever since it totally changed our life because now we're not getting up in the middle of the night to let the dogs out uh, or let them in. Um, we can listen. We sit in the kitchen, drink coffee and listen to the dog door swinging when they want to go in, they want to go out. And it was magical. Now, I, I think... You did have a few caveats, though, which are A few caveats. Funny. So let's talk about those two. Well, the, the first is raccoons. Uh-huh. And and raccoons are, uh, you know, they, they're lovable looking, but they're terrifying. Terrifying, yeah. They're um, really mean. They're really mean. They're really and, mean. And they will find a dog door and get in. So, so if you live in a place with a lot of raccoons, it's a, a friend of mine who has a dog door. They, they lock it at night so raccoons can't get in. And then there was a story that as I was writing the book, there's a story of this man in Florida 
who went to take a shower at 5.30 in the morning, and there was a seven-foot boa constrictor ah. nestled in the shower and ah. gotten in through the dog door. So no dog doors in Florida. That's that's the other key lesson. Yeah, right? maybe not allig- an alligator, a baby alligator could probably get in there too. I, I know, I know. So that, <laughs> like in that New would, Orleans or something? Right, right. Yeah. That would ruin your day. Yeah. So I think you have, to, you have to have situational awareness, but if you have the right environment or you can close that dog door at night, it's it's a wonderful invention. Well, you know, um, my kids, my daughter and her husband, um, they during the pandemic, they adopted or rescued two German Shepherd Rottweiler puppies. <laughs> and um, oh, and, you know, everything that you wrote about in your book, those puppies did. I mean, their house right. was like really pristine and both kids had grown up always with dogs and then they get married and they wanted dogs and they wanted right. two dogs right and um and their house was like just perfect well it didn't within a week the furniture is all chewed up um you know they <laughs> thought oh we're gonna just keep them well we'll we give them this enclosure outside you know with a nice house well that didn't work they had to put in a dog door well we'll just keep them in the kitchen oh that didn't work <laughs> well, we'll we'll put a we'll put a gate so they can't go up the stairs on the carpet oh well they jump Absolutely. over that and right. bottom line is the dogs own the house and yep. just the way they they love it but talking about dog doors they ended up having rats come in Oh my God. Yes. That was Again, awful. Bad. And yes. Bad. And you had that too, didn't you? Didn't you? Or was that a, somebody else that had it? But I think that yeah. was somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, that was not, that was not good. But right. I was just, I was wondering, um, you also talk about the coyotes and some of your dogs, how they will howl at them where I live. Cause I'm in a little farm. Oh, we have so many coyotes. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, and I think their their sound scares me to death, but I ended up putting up a nine foot fence around the property uh, just so that I could let out the chickens and the ducks and the geese and the rabbits and, you know, uh, and the dogs, the cats, let everybody right, just enjoy. Right. So I'm out in the garden. This is only a couple of weeks ago and I have a chicken literally on my lap and the other animals are around me and I feel like but the hairs on the back of my neck stick up. I turn around. I thought it was a German shepherd. It was so big. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, what? And it was a coyote had jumped the nine foot fence. Yes. It's I didn't realize they, they could, could jump. I know. I know. Far. I know. It's... Anyway. Yeah. And it was, um, yeah. And I was like, I had a trial. I'm like, get out of here. Get out of here. But, you know, unfortunately, I know that that's what they do. But they did take with them a few of my precious animals and it just oh, made dear. me yeah made yeah. me so sad so that gets me to the next thing which is grief because um you talk about grief and for people just joining us we are talking to Hirsch Wilson he is the author of the new book dog lessons learning the important stuff from our best friends and you know they live the the dogs live their best life as long as they live and then they die and but we grieve and I find that the other animals grieve too. Will you speak to our audience a little bit about grief? Because I, I feel it's it's good to grieve. I mean, they were part of, of our existence and our livelihood. Absolutely. I, I think we have a, a cultural assumption that goes way back that uh, the death of a dog should not be that big a deal. And, and you can, in air quotes, it's just a dog. Um, and I think that is wrong, of course, to anybody who has really been a guardian for a dog 
and been close to a dog knows that that relationship is special. And when that relationship ends, it, it can be one of the hardest things that you go through. And I think lots of people have said, including my daughters, that that it's harder for them to experience the death of a dog sometimes than, than to hear about a death of a human being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought about that a lot. And I, I think it, it goes back to two things. One is l- just simply love. Mm-hmm. When, when you love a being, whether human or dog, it is a tragedy and, and, and difficult uh, when they pass. Uh, and, and we're built to grieve. Grieving is a natural part of loss. And I, I, my, my kind of opinions on that are, one, everybody grieves differently. There is no single path. There are multiple paths to grieve. And no one should tell you to stop grieving or tell you how to grieve. It's very, very personal. And you experience this, I think you learn this only when you've been through loss. You have to go through the valley of the shadow to really understand what grief mm-hmm. is for you. Um, and as a firefighter, I think that, that, that's where I learned that lesson as being a firefighter, because you experience that on, on a regular, you experience death and suffering on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And so, I think, so much of it. So, yeah. No, you. it's so much of it. But I really appreciate what you just said about not only is it a natural part, grieving is a natural part of loss and a part of life, but everyone grieves differently. And that to me is the most important lesson. And I find that animals grieve and we have to give them that support as well. Because when you have two dogs or more dogs, we always had lots more dogs being Mm -hmm. on the farm, but, um, when one dog would die, the other dogs went into a melancholy. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was definitely real. It wasn't, it wasn't something, sometimes they would lay on the grave and just howl. Yep. So, you know, I mean, I, animals feel, they feel. Absolutely. And I think another preconception that we need to let go of is that animals don't suffer and animals don't feel pain. Of mm. course they do. Oh my and, gosh! And and not only is there a lot of science to back that now, but anybody who is close to an animal knows that animals feel different emotions. Mm-hmm. And I, I think coming to grips with the fact that animals have emotions, that they're sentient beings, it's really kind of a sea change in how we view the world. And I think one of the important messages from the from the book is that this is as important a sea change as Galileo uh, telling us that the Earth, uh, the sun didn't revolve around the Earth, but we we over- orbited the sun, and and Darwin and evolution, understanding that we live in a sentient world, and that animals feel pain, suffer, and feel joy, is is a significant change in how we view the world. And you know, uh, anybody who has a a dog will know that. I mean, I know I would come home from work and I could smell badly. I could be in a terrible mood. I could have had the worst day. And those dogs are there, you know, wagging their tail, wiggling, barking, so excited to see you like I was the greatest person, you know, that ever lived. <laughs> and immediately it just takes you right out of your sadness, right? Right. They, it's they, great for your self-esteem, too. Yes. They just, <laughs> you know, they don't care if your hair is combed or if your breath is bad or, right. you know, or what clothes you're wearing. They're not judging in any way. And that's something that I love. I always love, you probably know this uh, quote by Groucho Marx, but it's one of my favorite. 
Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very Groucho. Yeah. Yeah, that's very that's very Groucho. Well, uh, the other thing I want to go to is breeds. This is something else that you uh, talk about. I'm I'm just really huge on rescuing animals. So mm -hmm. so whenever we, I have never owned a pure breed or purebred anything, you know, it's like mm -hmm. whatever, um, usually they just find me. We always say that we have a sign that only the animals can see outside our house that probably says uh -huh. sucker, you right. know, but they just seem to show up. They seem to show up and know that they've got a home here. But, um, you know, you've talked about um, different breeds and aggressiveness and all of that in your book, Dog Lessons. And I think that would be something to explain, too, because, you know, for example, pit bulls get a really, really bad rap. And yes, there are some really mean dogs, but usually it has to do with what the guardian, who wasn't a guardian, who was probably more like a slave trader, did to them when they were either younger or throughout their life. So could you talk about the importance of breeds and then how dogs become aggressive or, or loving? Sure. So I think um, the about breeds, we, we, and this goes to when you want to when you want to adopt a dog. It's you might have a breed in mind, but what's important is the individual dog. There's there's so much variation. Uh, you know, you take uh, golden retrievers. There is an enormous amount of variation in behavior in in the entire collection of golden retrievers. So it's not just about saying, I want a golden retriever, but it's, it's really getting to understand and, and get to know the, the individual dog. I think that's the message. Um, there are, there are uh, how, how dogs look is very driven by genetics, but how dogs behave is a little more complicated. And it goes to how they were raised and what their early environment was and how their, and how their later environment was. So it's always important to get to know the individual dog. Well, something else that you say, oh, I didn't mean to uh, cut no, into no. what you're no, no. talking about on breeds or aggressiveness. But one of the things you also say in the book is, and I think this about people too, is that even if they had a difficult puppyhood, with lots of love and care, it could take a lot longer and patience. But we can usually turn um, the dog around and make them a really good, you know, a good pet, a good a good friend with with a lot of love. Now, sometimes if they have you know emotional distress, that might be different. But that probably is going to go into what is aggressive. So go ahead. I'm sorry to have cut you no, off. No, that's fine. I, I think that's for anybody who is thinking about adopting a dog, knowing that a rescue dog. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of preconceptions about rescues, and and people want to get puppies. But I think two things. I think there's such a great need. To, to rescue dogs that are living in shelters. And secondly, they turn out to be great dogs. Most shelters um, work with dogs before they're put up for adoption to really kind of deal with any kind of reactivity or deal with any kind of uh, uh, resource uh, guarding so that when you, by the time they get to a point where they're adopted, they're good dogs. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us as our, our first stop on the, on the road to getting a new dog is to go to your shelter, your local shelter, and take a look. And I think you'll be shocked by the amazing dogs that are there. Um, I think in terms of, you know, I don't use the word aggression anymore. I, I, was, I was schooled. 
And we, instead we talk about reactivity, that some dogs are more reactive than others. Um, and that comes um, from, again, from human beings. Human okay. beings are responsible for how reactive a dog is. Uh, I talk a lot about in the book that punishment is not an effective way to train a dog. That positive reinforcement and distraction are the ways to train a dog. Well, isn't that the way that we we should train humans? I mean, when Absolutely. I coach people, when I, I come from an acting background too, but I, the thing I hated is when they wanted to tear you down and bring you down to nothing to build you back up. I mean, why not start from the fact that you already are a star, already great? Let's just polish you up. You know, I Absolutely. think when you do positive, positive reinforcement and give people that sense that they are great and give the dogs that sense, they respond. So I'm Absolutely. the same with you. I don't agree with punishment at all. And unfortunately, so many people do that. Even with my horses, I never I hated that word that you're going to break them. I never wanted to right. break. I never wanted to break anything. I just wanted them to be horses. You know? right, exactly. And that's yeah. the same with our dogs. I just want our dogs to be dogs. Right. And I just want them to have a great dogs. life. And I think most importantly, I don't want them to be afraid of me. Right. Um, and I think that I, I tell the story in the book when I was 10 and I had, we had a German shepherd named Shani that I was the one selected to take her to puppy training. And at that time, it was a choke collar. And if Shani did something wrong, I was to use the pull on the choke collar and drive her to the ground. Well, her ears would go flat, her tail would tuck between mm -hmm. her legs, and she'd be afraid. Mm -hmm. And I, I think not only, is it, it, not only is it ineffective in terms of training a dog, there are all kinds of unintended consequences around fear, uh, a, you know, a dog all of a sudden uh, peeing in the house, yes. all kinds of things go, go wrong when that you punish your dog, when they're afraid of you. Well, I'm so glad that you um, you work with your animals that way. And I'm going to I would have loved to ask you about the bear story, but we're running out of time. So I'm going <laughs> to let people read the book. That was hysterical, by the way. Oh, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't even get over it. <laughs> um, anyway, that was really cute. Uh, so I just wish you so much success with your book, Dog Lessons, Learning the Important Stuff from Our Best Friends. And I want to give you a hug to Toby and to Maisie. I'm sure that they, it's really, you know, it's, it's fun having them around because they're two totally different dogs. But yes. you've been listening. This is Hirsch Wilson. I want you to visit his website, hirschwilson.com. And his name is spelled H-E-R-S as in Sam, C-H, Wilson. He's also the author of Firefighter Zen, and you can find out those um, at his uh, website. And his books are published by New World Library, which is such a, um, a good publisher. So, Hirsch, thanks so much for joining me on Star Style, Be the Star You Are Again. And I really look forward to all of your books. I think this is just, it's really great to, to read them. And it just, you know, it dovetails with what I'm doing. So I love it. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. Oh, it's been a pleasure. So when we come back from break, we're going to talk about some anger management. I think probably we could learn anger management from our dogs. But you're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. And we'll be back in just a bit. So stay with me. Change 
your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Well, whatever your goal, go for it. All things, even what seems impossible, can be accomplished when you take a few important steps. Visualize the prize, identify a specific goal, and imagine yourself achieving it in every detail. For example, if you want to be a professional dancer, see yourself dancing in front of thousands of people and making a difference and making them happy. Write down your visualizations and repeat them to yourself every day. And as you do, your belief and confidence will grow. Choose a role model. Inspirational role models demonstrate possibilities and provide invaluable sources for motivation, strength, and hope. Keep reminders of your goals and dreams on cards and put it where you're going to see them often, like your refrigerator, your dashboard, a mirror, your computer. And then when you have a setback, have a comeback. Pick yourself back up. See mistakes as opportunities to learn and develop new strategies. Mistakes are inevitable, valuable, and essential for growth. I always say failure is fertilizer. Remember, you are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another Business Bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Be the star you are. Org. Dare to care. You are the star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Hirsch Wilson and his book, Dog Lessons. If you want a really fun read, and especially if you're a dog lover or animal lover as I am, you will really enjoy it and you will see yourself in it and you'll see your dogs in it. And I think you'll just have a lot of fun um, reading it. So make sure to uh, check it out. It's at, that's at hirschwilson.com. Well, um, you know, anger is a normal part of being human and we probably can learn how to mitigate our anger if we have a pet because I have always found that they tend to try to avoid fighting as much as possible, as, at least if they're healthy. But there are some ways to deal with our anger. And, you know, one of the easiest things about experiencing anger is um, to describe it differently. 
than just saying you're angry. You could just say you're letting off steam, you're fuming, uh, you're, you know, you're livid, you're going to flip your lid or et cetera. So uh, what people say that this lexicon speaks to the universality of anger, and it's one of the most primitive emotions that humans experience. And in some ways, it's very complex because people don't like to feel angry. And most people who do feel angry want to get rid of their anger. And that can be channeled into a positive force. You can consider that anger has fueled so many social and political movements from women's suffrage to Black Lives Matter. And the feeling can sing, uh, signal that something we're experiencing or observing is just out of touch with our values or how we want others to treat us and our fellow humans. So unfortunately, experts say most of us don't know how to deal with anger in a healthy way. Um, it's the negative emotion that people have the most difficulty regulating. And it's something that comes so easy. And that's why, of course, a lot of courts will send people to anger management um, courses because people don't know how to deal with it. But, you know, anger drives numerous societal problems. And it's one of the largest risk factors for aggressive and violent behaviors, including road rage, domestic violence, and even murder. And it can lead to short and long-term health effects, including heightened inflammation, risk of chronic illness, reduced lung function, chronic pain, digestive problems, increased depression and anxiety. And research suggests that in the two hours after feeling angry, a person's risk, listen to this, of a heart attack jumps nearly five-fold. So here are some tips for you to curb that anger, be a little healthier. First, focus on relaxing instead of venting. When we're angry, we are highly, highly charged. And when we're venting or blowing off steam, um, it's better probably to go for a run. And because you don't want to keep arousal high, that would be like putting gas on a fire. But instead, probably the best thing you could do to reduce that level is to practice some deep breathing. Just take a moment, meditate, do some yoga, um, do some uh, muscle relaxation. Uh, for me, if when I start feeling angry, I have to breathe. I'll have to leave the room or leave the area and just breathe and realize this too shall pass. <laughs> so take a time out is basically what I'm saying is um, if you want to repair relationships, it's okay to get away from the person you are angry with. Um, otherwise, it's like you are just kind of like a, a wild animal. And sometimes when we're angry, we say things that we don't mean, but we can never take back. So just getting away for a few minutes to decompress can really change um, how we feel and how we react. So use the break to figure out how you would like to calmly respond instead of just reacting right away. There's um, an intercession that a lot of uh, uh, anger management people teach, and it's called the 30-30 intervention. It's first you take 30 seconds to extract yourself from the situation by either stepping outside, leaving the room, whatever it is. Then you have to distract yourself for 30 seconds. And that 30 seconds is 
um, it helps you to create a, you know, a coping mechanism. Like think about anything, going to the zoo, eating dinner, taking a nap. And then the last would be to reframe it. So the final 30 seconds is to create that state that's going to de-escalate. So you reframe what it has. Deep down, you know that you can change whatever this behavior is. And again, breathe. You might want to, if you find yourself being angry a lot, keep an anger log and write it down. And then you learn how to use assertive communication. The goal is to always be respectful to with yourself and with the person you're talking to and make a point of checking in to make sure that the other person is feeling your um, empathy as well. Well, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. Make sure you're tuned in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are every week right here for some uh, personal growth, you know, expression and some great authors and experts. You can change your life and make your dreams come true. For more information about Star Style Productions or my work, visit CynthiaBryan.com. To make a donation or, or just, you know, volunteer for the charity or find out what we're doing, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. I want you to see beyond your physical being. Know you are already the star you dreamed of becoming. Cherish the past, dream of the future, and celebrate this moment. Speak with honesty, think with sincerity, and act with integrity. And until next week, when we celebrate once again right here on the Starsdale Playground, remember, love always wins. Kindness always prevails and smiles keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you. Be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. And read dog lessons. See you next week. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.